Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Memory Lane. Noah Hiles, uh, keeping you entertained on this uh, wonderful Saturday or whenever you're listening to it. And as we continue this rotation of former Pittsburgh athletes, we got a really good one today. I'm really excited about this. When I was 11 years old, uh-uh. I picked number 99 for, for midget football, and my dad came up to me and said, you know whose number that is? And I said, well, it's mine. I picked it so I'd be the last person announced when I ran out of the tunnel in numeric order. He goes, no, that's LeVon Kirkland's number. And that is who we have joining us on the show today. LeVon Kirkland, how are you, my friend? I am doing well. <laughs> that is a great story. Yeah, it, that, and he immediately, he, he pulled out, I, I, YouTube was just new there, but I mean, we, we right. went... He had the VHS tapes from the 90s playoff runs, and we were watching it. And, yeah, that's, that's how I learned about who LeVon Kirkland was. And well, I also played linebacker, not as well as you, uh, but <laughs> that's number 99 linebacker. That's how I learned about you, man. So. I'm sure you played the position pretty well. I can tell you a story about the reason why I got that number. I would love to hear it. Okay, well, it was uh, at the training camp my rookie year. And during the preseason, I had number 45. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't wear 40 numbers at the time and play linebackers, either 50 numbers or 90 through 99. So I go to the equipment guy's office because he's telling me you got to wear You got to get a, You got to pick your number. Mm-hmm. So he has it laid out. He has 58, 59, 56 and 99. 58, I was looking at that jersey. I'm like, no way in hell I'm wearing that jersey. That's Jack Lambert's jersey. I'm not touching that jersey. And then comes 59. No way in the world I'm touching that jersey. That's Jack Ham's number. Then I looked at 56 and 99. I looked at 56. It's a pretty popular number, but I felt like everybody was wearing that number. Mm-hmm. You know, there was really no distinction there. And, and then Lawrence Taylor was wearing that number also. Then I saw number 99. It wasn't worn a whole lot, especially for a guy in, at my position. And I was like, I was 44 in college. Let's see if the double digits work out for me in the NFL. So I picked 99, and I remember going out there for the first day of practice when I had it on. And guys were looking at me really strange, like 99? And I was like, it's going to grow on you. Trust me, it's going to grow on you. So that's the that's the story behind the reason why I wore number 99. That's that's awesome. And I mean, hey, it, it did stick around. I mean, that's uh, my, my story proves it, right? That's yes. n- number recognition. Um, so there's a lot I want to get into. I mean, okay. you played uh, during an era of Steeler football that I feel like gets overlooked. Everyone talks about the 70s. Everyone likes to reflect on, you know, the early 2000s when they won those Super Bowls. But those 90s teams were loaded. I mean, especially right. on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I mean, you, you, a lot of deep playoff runs, obviously the one Super Bowl appearance. 
my first question for you, do you feel like you guys don't get enough credit for the success you had in the 90s as a, as a unit? Well, I think that when you don't win a Super Bowl, it, it matters. And you're only going to be maybe, even if you're a good team, even if you're a dynamic team like we were, you're only going to be a footnote in the history of, in, of the NFL because it's, it's really all about winning those Super Bowls. So because of that, I think that's fair that we probably are not known as much. But I think when we played back in the 90s, that was some fun football. Uh, we had a great time. I think everybody in the NFL recognized how good we were. So in ways, yes, I, I think that we were probably a little underrated. But you have to win a Super Bowl to really get your name out there. I think if we won a Super Bowl – people would have raved about how good we were, but we were, you know, we just didn't get it done. Yeah. Um, so I was looking through uh, your social media as I was prepping for this and not yeah. too long ago, you wrote an open letter to yeah. uh, your linebacking brothers. Uh, right. What you, what'd you call them? Your backing backer brothers? Is that what you said? I just call them my brother. What's it called? Brethren. It's yeah. saying brother. Okay. Yeah. You know, we're not, we don't have the same parents. Yeah. True. So I, I just kind of put a play on the word and that just definitely means somebody that you, you associate with that you go to battle with. And I don't know. I just kind of felt like uh, we were such a good team and I just wanted to let them know how much I really appreciate them. So um, I put it out there, you know, try to get it edited. So if somebody's an English teacher and they didn't, agree with my noun verb <laughs> agreement, so be it. But uh, yeah. I, I thought it was something that, you know, it was kind of heartfelt and I wanted people to understand the the player and understand that we're, we're more than just football players. We're, we're human beings that really care about each other. And <laughs> it's kind of funny to have some people say, man, a lot of guys don't show their feelings. I, I don't think that's the case, but um, I've been writing letters for a while and uh, doing a project called Thank You. And um, that was just a little bit of a snippet of what's going to come. So I, I thought I put that one out there because everybody would recognize, you know, who the guys were. And I, I've had some really good responses. Yeah, yeah. Some really good, you know, views. I mean, it's, it's interesting for me, for someone, I mean, I was born in the mid nineties, so I wasn't right. around to really watch you guys play, but I mean, you hear about the name, I mean, the, the linebacker names are guys right. that you obviously hear about Chad Brown, Levo, uh, you, LeVon Kirkland, uh, Greg, uh, Greg Lloyd and, and Kevin Green, who's in the hall of fame. Um, and you guys all kind of just had your own different role. You all had your own style. You're all, you know, some, some of you guys were, you know, like Kevin was acquired as a, a free agent, right? And then right. some other guys were younger, older, different parts of their career, and you all did different things. It, it's got to be cool when you all have, when you just have a unit that's so deep and so talented, and you're always clicking on all cylinders. Uh, you know what? That team was probably the perfect mix of young guys and veteran guys. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it was almost half and half where guys like myself, Darren Perry, Chad Brown, Preston Buckner, uh, Dion figures were all young guys. And then you got guys who are veteran guys like Greg, Kevin, Rod Woodson, Carnell Lake. But it worked so well together. It really did. And 
I think that as younger guys, we gave them a, we gave them some uh, athletic boost. You know, we, me and Chad were really good athletes and we can run around pretty well. And then you had the savvy guys. And then you, you know, Greg was, Greg and Rod were the guys who kind of set the tone. They were definitely the alpha dogs in the, on that defense. And they were the all pros and the MVPs. And Kevin just brought a uniqueness as far as being able to rush the passer the way he did as well as he did. And to have to have the guys he had in the front seven, I think it made it really easy for him to get a lot of plays. Then on top of that, our defense was um, is before his time. I mean, we were doing things that other people were not doing as far as sending cornerbacks, you know, off the edge, dropping linemen, crossing in front of people. Uh, we did it. We 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 did it so well that it became. Um, it was like an art form. It really was. And it was good to see because you did have the different dynamics as far as players are concerned. You had, even though the outside linebackers, Kevin and Greg, same position, but different. Yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways. And those guys, believe it or not, they never switched sides. They either, you know, they, you either back then, you either had to play the Sam, you had to play the Sam and the Will. So okay. you had to know both positions. Me and Chad were the ones that kind of flipped a little bit, you know, kind of went to one side or the other. But um, our positions were extremely difficult. I think that's what people don't realize. Yeah. I, like the inside blackers, I mean, we had to take on linemen. Especially in, in LeBeau's defense. Yeah, in my yeah. case, I had to run with tight ends and running backs and wide receivers. So it was dynamic, but uh, we, we did a good job of getting it done. And we took a lot of pride. And most importantly, we took ownership of that defense. And I think that's why we played so well. That dynamic that you described, it's kind of similar to what's going on with the Pittsburgh defense now, right? Where you have right. the veterans and guys like Cam Hayward and Bud Dupree. And then you have the younger guys like Minka and, and um, Devin Bush, you know, right. and TJ Watt, who can have that, bring that energy, that kind of extra shot in the arm and, that's where you're finally seeing it all kind of gel. You know, it's, yeah. it's pretty similar. Uh, I think so. You, you know, you, you want, a, if you can get a nice mixture of younger and older players, I think you got something going there because um, that energy that the young players bring is so great, but that savviness that the veteran brings, it really helps the defense out a whole lot. Um, for one example, Kevin Green was really good at watching film and understanding film, but he's been, he played for like eight or nine years. And he was the one that, as I recall, would grab me and Chad, and we would watch film before, we would watch film after, after practice, and that wasn't really even that popular back then. We would watch it as a group, and we would kind of just discuss, what do you see here? What are you thinking about doing here? We will make the calls. And this wasn't a coaching kind of thing. It was a it was players that would take the responsibility and say, hey, let's watch some extra film and let's try to get a leg up on people. That's interesting. I mean, because like now, like you said, I mean, a film's just more accessible with the right. internet and everything and with Huddle. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to hear how you kind of took it upon yourself to make that happen back then. Right. I wanted to ask you a question about one of your teammates, Chad sure. Brown. Uh, 
Did I hear he's like a snake collector? He had like mm-hmm. a snake collection. Did you ever encounter any of those snakes? I'm not a snake guy. What What was your yeah. interaction with those? Well, Chad is probably the foremost expert in exotic pets. Okay. So um, I remember when I played at Seattle, he was there. Mm-hmm. One of the main reasons why I went to Seattle. And he had a shop in Colorado. And so I guess we were playing the Broncos. And so we took a trip there. And he had all these exotic pets. But the cool thing was he he said, hey, do you want to see a python feed? And we're like, yeah, why not? So he gets this rabbit, man, and he kind of knocks the rabbit unconscious. And he throws the rabbit in the cage with the python. The python patiently wait till the rabbit, like, comes through, like, comes, you know, wakes up gains consciousness and he just slivers over to the snake and the, I mean, the, the rabbit and the rabbit, you can visibly see him shaking in his boots and he just wraps himself around the rabbit and it's all over, but he does it so slowly and you're like, oh my God, can you imagine being trapped, nowhere to go? Um, you're you're not really awake yet, and you got this monster of a predator that's going to squeeze you to death, and that's what happened. But yeah, Chad's, Chad's been doing it, gosh, probably I, ever since I've known him. He's he's been traveling around the world, uh, getting these exotic pets, and yeah, he's probably. I bet he can probably answer any of your questions about anything <laughs> that's. Uh, slippery and slimy, and that's a uh, and that's an animal. So that's it. Yeah, uh, that's he's pretty I, incredible when it comes to that. I was not expecting that that kind of an answer, but oh, I'm yeah. glad you shared yeah. that story. Um, so someone else I want to talk to. I noticed that you and Co- uh, Coach Cower both came into Pittsburgh in 1992, right? You were there his right. rookie year. Um, what were the expectations that year uh, with a rookie coach and a team that I mean they're replacing Chuck Noll, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Well, the year before, they weren't really a good team, Mm-mm. you know. And I remember when I went to the Combines, the Steelers was the team that really interviewed me the most. And I remember flying up there, and I remember having a conversation with Coach Cower, and I was saying to myself, that's who I want to play for. I mean, his energy, uh, it was authentic. It wasn't a, you know, he wasn't a fake rah-rah guy. He was like that my whole career. And as a guy coming straight from college, you wanted to play for him because he gave you the kind of energy that you're used to as far as coaching is concerned. Young guy, I think we had maybe a couple of guys older than him that were on the team. And it was cool to be a part of that. And his energy and his drive was not going to let us fail. And the cool thing too was he was the coach that surrounded himself with some great coaches. Look on the defensive side of long. You had Don Capers. You had the great Dick LeBeau, Marvin Lewis, who was a heck of a coach. And then you had John Mitchell, all great coaches. I mean, so we were stacked on the coaching side of defense and he just kind of brought it all together. And he and I remember our first game, we were down 
14 nothing against the Oilers, and we run a fake punt to get it down to the one-yard line. We end up winning that game uh, pretty handily, and it was a great win for us because we were – I mean, we were down 14 nothing. They used to run that run and shoot. And I think what that game did and that fake punt did is like, man, he really wants to win, you know. And when a player feels like a coach generally wants to win and he's excited about winning, it makes you – excited about winning also so he was tremendous young coach man he it's like he knew what he wanted and he knew the style and the play that he wanted from the pittsburgh steelers and through those 90s especially the uh, i would say from the early 90s to the mid 90s man we were an exciting team we had a certain brand and we were a team you really never wanted to play we may lose that game but you're going to come out there with a black eye also. So we just had a mentality. It was it was great playing for a young coach like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, I was going to ask you what it was like playing for him, but you really hit the nail on the head. And um, another guy I wanted to ask about was uh, Dick LeBeau, someone. It's actually yes. – this, this episode is going to be released later on because I like to, you know, try to record a whole bunch of these and everything. But um, right. Dick LeBeau, it's his birthday today, if you didn't oh. know that. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Happy so, birthday, Coach LeBeau. Yeah, absolutely. Happy you, you birthday. You notice that I call him Coach LeBeau? Yeah. And yeah. so uh, what What are what are your thoughts on Dick LeBeau? I'm sure you have a lot. Wow. I would call myself, a, and we all did, we were all Dick LeBeau soldiers. And we would do any and everything for Coach LeBeau. And the reason why is Coach LeBeau, genuinely cared about you as a human being. You will rarely ever see him yell at a player or demean a player, no matter what. But he had a way to push you. And what he did on defense was just absolutely brilliant, absolutely smart. He was also a coach with his pedigree. He would listen to the players too. He would listen to what's going on right now. Hey, do you like this call? Yes, coach. Keep running. Or coach, we I don't I don't we don't like this call. He would just throw it away. So he had a way to connect with his players. I don't, I'm not sure you know this, but he would he would read uh, he would recite the night before the Christmas. The night before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Now, what NFL team with a bunch of grown men <laughs> would just be at awe? of him uh, reciting that whole story. and But we all were, and he did it every year. You seem like it was, you know, God, this is boring, but he had a way of telling stories that really disunited the team. And it, it was a privilege and an honor to play for someone like that. And, and especially me being, a, being the inside linebacker they trusted me to make the calls and the signals. Man, uh, to get it from Dick LeBeau was amazing. And he was an amazing coach, man. I, I think everybody, I, I guarantee you, there's not a guy that played with Dick LeBeau, whether they got cut or whatever, did not enjoy Dick LeBeau and what he brought to the table. So you got Dick LeBeau, Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, you played with multiple guys. 
both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball there in the Hall of Fame. Now your head coach is right. is in the Hall of Fame. What was your reaction? Did you get to watch that live when they informed him on I TV? I did, yeah. and it was phenomenal. And Coach Coward, you know, he deserved it. He really did. Like I said, he really knew how to relate to the players, and especially someone like me who really never played a position until I got to the NFL. I had a lot to learn, and I was, uh, you know, I was, I wanted to be so good that sometimes I probably overthought it sometimes. And I just remember when they made me the starter, I didn't know he was going to make me the starter. And I just remember him telling me, you got to take over the huddle. And I'm looking at Kevin, I'm looking at Greg, Ron Wilson, Cardinal Lake, and I'm like, I'm just a young guy. And now I got to be this leader yeah. because the position calls for it. But I just remember him telling me, hey, you got to take over. You got to take over the huddle. He didn't tell me how to do it. He just said I had to. I, I'd probably say I didn't, you know, those guys, you know, I didn't take over those guys. But I did grow into the position and became a leader for that defense. But, yeah, I mean, having Coach there, because Coach was the kind of guy that I think other players around the league, they, they envied that and they wanted to play for a guy like that. And he know, and the cool thing about him too was he knew how to take care of players because he was a player. You know, some coaches they try to run you in the dirt, but BC he knew how to take care of me. He knew how to say like, "Hey, let's take the pass off. <laughs> let's put them to the side. Let's you know, let's have a crisp practice, but we're not going to bang up on each other." So we always came out fresh. And the, the funny thing about our team. Now, if you would come out to one of our practices, you would think we're the most ragtag team you ever saw in your life. When the offense was practicing, the defensive guys would be all over. Some guys would be throwing the balls. Greg and Kevin would be doing whatever they did. But then when they called us up, man, we all got together. We went out there and we got the work done. That was a, and I think he knew that, you know, even. You know, um, in my you know I, my third year, I already started for two years, so I was a veteran, even though I was still a young guy. So I young guys, even on the defense, all played a lot. So we're young, but we understand we understood how practice should go, how you should take care of your business, and you know when the offense are going, it's just like hey, we don't we have nothing to do with that. So we would just be doing our own thing. And most coaches would never allow that. To yeah. Happen. Never in a million. You would have to be, you know, lined up or whatever, not talking. But he allowed us to just be loose. And I think that's the way we play. We play very loose, carefree, but make no mistakes about it, man. We were a hard-nosed, tough team that really meant business. Another Hall of Famer, potentially, that you might have been associated with is uh, Bill Nunn. Uh, what's your relationship with him or what was your relationship with him? Like? You know, actually we had a pretty good relationship. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was funny in a way. I was kind of, uh, I was mild mannered and I was kind of, but I, I was kind of a guy who really related to older men. Uh, believe it or not, I would go in a scouting's like little office or film room. And he would be there occasionally, him and Charles Bailey and Tom Donahoe. I would go back there and just watch film sometimes with those guys. 
and I got a lot of wisdom from them. I mean, they would, we would talk to each other. They would just be like, you know, you're playing at a B plus level. We need for you to play at an A plus level, especially my first couple of years. So it was fun. They would allow me to just go back there and talk to them and Bill Dunn, when I first got there, you didn't realize what a legend he was and how the Pittsburgh Steelers, especially during the time we're going through, that they had somebody that could relate to the HBCU and how Chuck Noll was one of the first guys to give an African-American an opportunity to be a defensive coordinator. Uh, Tony Dungy at a very young age, which that never happened. That he wanted to play a black quarterback in front of Terry Bradshaw. That's the guy he saw as a star. That taken back then, that took a lot of guts. And I don't know, it's just good business. They're just being savvy. But they understood, hey, some of the best players are at the HBCU. We don't care where they come from. We just want good players. And Bill Dunn was probably the architect of having relationships with those players and bringing in some of the best players. You're talking about Donnie Shell, you're talking about Mel Blunt, you're talking about Star Wars. Those guys are all Hall of Famers. Yeah. All Hall of Famers. Wow. L.C. Greenwood. I mean, whoa. That guy knew exactly what he's doing, and he could see and spot good players. And it was kind of cool that the Steelers never allowed the racial barrier to be to get in the way of winning Super Bowls and getting quality people. Yeah. I mean, and that's, to me, I think one of the cooler things about a story as a journalist, uh, I mean, the guy was a writer in the Pittsburgh Courier, and his knowledge, how good he was at his job, ended up getting him another career opportunity where he is going to be regarded. I mean, he's going to be in Canton for it. So, I mean, I just think right. that the guy was just good at everything he did. It seems he like. was amazing yeah. guy. He was one of the guys that kind of convinced me to go into coaching. I remember I was just doing a scouting internship and he was like, Levon, you ever thought about coaching? And I'm like, um, he said, man, you would really make a great coach. He said, you really would. And I'm like, wow. I mean, to get that endorsement for Bill Dunn, and he was retired at the time, but he could, I mean, he had the key to the place. And he should have because he was just that good. And I don't think a lot of guys knew he knew who he was, but I got to know him just by interacting. And um, it was a lot of fun. It really was. I can tell you another kind of cool story, too. Yeah, You remember please. Dick Holt, the um, running backs coach? Yes, yeah, yeah. One thing that I take pride in, you know, Dick Holt didn't talk to anybody but the guys at his position, right? Okay. He didn't talk to any guys on defense, anybody. He did not talk to them. And he rarely talked to other football players. I was one of the guys that he talked to. What'd you do to get that honor? I don't know. I just, you know, what I would do is I would go into Earhart's office and I would just talk to him. And me, and I guess he just kind of liked me. He just took a liking to me. And I was one of the only defensive guys he talked to. And I would say, Coach Holt, am I still one of the only defensive guys you talked to? He said, Kirk, you're the only defensive guy I talked to. Hmm. He would not talk to any other defensive guy. Maybe it's And just he was a, a quiet guy, though. 
I was going to say, maybe he just did that so you didn't hurt his running backs in practice or something. Uh, you know, uh, there's a story about me and Jerome Bettis mm -hmm. that uh, I don't know a lot of people know this, but when he first came in, I couldn't believe that Jerome Bettis was coming to our team. I couldn't believe that we got him for a fourth-round pick. I was just like, and we played against Jerome. We were like, wow, we got Jerome Bettis? Uh, <laughs> we're going to go some places, you know? And I remember the first time we were in training camp, we didn't really know each other that well, but, you know, I knew him. I'm not quite sure he knew who I was. Maybe just like, okay, yeah, okay, this who, oh, this is a big linebacker. So I think we went against each other one time, and it was like a stalemate. So I don't know who approached who, but like the very next day before practice, we, me and him had a conversation. We like, dude. Let's just not go against each other. <laughs> and so we made a pact that day not to ever go against each other. So we were just like, man, we're going to hurt each other. If we get one, you know, one day one of us is going to slip and we're going to actually hurt each other. And I mean, we just never went against each other ever again in practice. It's probably a good idea. I mean, both smart. of you. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's, uh, yeah, that, that's something that wouldn't even be a conversation in today's NFL, I don't think. In today's think, NFL, yeah. it would have never happened. But back yeah. then, we competed against each other uh, so much. It was, I mean, the competition was fierce. And me and Jerome was like, maybe one of the first ones to say, listen, there's no reason why we should go against each other. That makes no sense. No reason at all. So we stopped that in a hurry. We did. All right, so we, we, we reflected on a lot of great moments, and we're right. going gonna to continue to do that. But I want to ask you an either-or question on two sure. of the more puzzling moments of your career, one of them involving Jerome. What okay. I have better WTF moment in Steelers history, Thanksgiving Quintos in 1998 or Plexico Burris spiking the ball after just catching it in the middle of the field against the Jaguars uh, his no, rookie no, season? No questions. I think the Thanksgiving game. Yeah. The Thanksgiving game. That was bizarre, to say the least. What was your reaction on the side? Were you were you on the field for the coin toss or I was I was supposed to be. It was overtime, but I just mm -hmm. like let Jerome and Cardell was our, our captains at the time. I was supposed to be out there, but I was just like, Oh, this is overtime. You guys, you know, go ahead out there. You didn't How do you mess up a coin captain. toss, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I probably missed one of the more iconic moments in the NFL. So uh I kicked myself for not being on the camera that time, but yeah, I was just kind of confused what was going on. So uh, we lost that coin toss, and back then, the only thing you need is a field goal to win the game, and they drove enough to kick a field goal, and that was it. I mean, was it like predetermined? Do you guys have a conversation? I mean, because like I played high school football, I, I would imagine maybe it's different in the NFL where do they tell you like, hey, take tails or heads. Did Bill have a decision on that? Was Jerome always the one who decided like? Did you yeah, know there was a mistake? Somebody would call it, you know. Um, I usually call tails. Uh, I mean, even though it's, I always wanted to go defense first, to be honest with you. So I was hoping we win, we get to defer. Coach Conwell would just kind of tell us what, you know, what direction we should, we should go first and whether we're going to defer or not. We always, if we won the coin toss, we always deferred, so. It was a little bit of a conversation, but it wasn't anything in depth. And whoever was um, calling, who's ever calling the coin toss, which is whatever he wants to call, that's what he called.
We're gonna get right back to my interview with LaVon Kirkland, but first, a word from our sponsors. So let's talk about uh, the Super Bowl run, the one that you were a part of. Uh, the AFC Championship game is one that gets talked about a decent amount still here, uh, especially the final play. You weren't on the field for that, I don't think, were you? No, the, no, the Hail no. Mary. Take me through your point of view of Harbaugh's pass into the end zone. It falls to the turf, everything. Take me through your point of view. Whew. Well, uh, I don't know if you remember during the series, that we had an opportunity to intercept the ball yes. and leave. So Chris, we call him Old Ham. His name is Odom. And <laughs> he had the interception. Now, Chris will always make big plays for us. I, I swear, this guy always made the big play. And there was an interception right between the two and the four, and he drops it. And I'm like, oh, man, because you're thinking this game is going back and forth. They got the last chance. And, man, we really needed that interception. So, you know, they got to throw it to the end zone. I'm telling you, once he put it in the air, I was like, oh, my God. My heart just dropped because now it's anybody's game. It comes down. It's tipped. No, well, the guy in front of Darren Perry kind of pushes Darren Perry. Darren Perry is going to knock it down. But he pushes Darren a little bit, so the ball is coming straight to him. And so when he gets it, uh, Randy Fuller, I never remember, I forget this, he comes over the top and he punches the ball out. And I'm thinking, I am still don't really have a great view of it. And when he, when he hits the ground, I'm like, oh, my God, he caught it. Oh, my God, he caught it. But I saw all our guys just saying, nope. Referee saying it's on the ground, and it seemed like the noise came back on. So when he threw the ball, it was dead quiet to me. I, there was not a sound. And you're going through all this stuff, and it seems like it's in slow motion. He pushes there. He's almost catching the ball. He's trying to bring it in. Randy punches it out a little bit. He's juggling it. He hits the ground. You can't see if it, the ball falls. The referee kind of swings around to get in front so he can see it. And then when they do like this, it seems like you turn back on the noise and it went crazy, man. I just couldn't believe we were going to the Super Bowl. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the more memorable plays in like yeah. franchise history when you, I mean, that you hear people talk about and they, they said the exact same, if they say it felt like it was 30 years when that ball was in the air because uh, it was a it deep pass forever. and it was just quiet and yeah. yeah. It so, took forever. It was like it was in slow-mo. Mm -hmm. I mean, he just threw it up for grabs. And you see it come down, and you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> and Randy just – Randy Fuller just refused to lose on that one. And he, he saved us on that, and the ball hit the ground. The guys on the field, they see it right away. They're like, nope, nope, nope. And it looks like a catch. It does. But, man – the Colts were tough that game. You know, we were we were, we were at least two touchdown favorite. But, for, you know, for some reason, we always made it interesting. We always made it interesting. And it's, it wasn't like we just, let's just beat these guys and 
celebrated. We had to wait till the last second, but that was a team that came from being three and four that we won like eight games in a row in the regular season, went on and made a nice run. And I feel like we should have beat the Cowboys too. I, I felt like we were a team that had that opportunity. And, you know, I, I really feel like the turnovers we had really was probably the reason why we lost that game. But yeah, it's a great memory, man. We celebrate. I'm telling you, man, it was just, you talking about hugging and kissing guys that you would never <laughs> hug and kiss. And man, I, 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 the one thing I remember about that team is we really that year grew together and we hung out together. I mean, we literally would go out, all of us would go out together on Fridays, you know, whether it's just going to a local bar or going out, out or playing paintball or whatever. We did a lot of stuff together and it really brought the team closer. That's really cool. Uh, that I mean, you have those experiences at lower levels of football, but to see that, you know, continue in the professional level, that's really cool. Right. Um, so for Super Bowl 30, I wanted to hit on something. You kind of talked about this already, how in Cowher's first game, when you guys were down 14 nothing, he, he got creative, trick play with the fake punt, and that energized the team. This guy's betting on us. He wants to win. You guys were losing in the first half of Super Bowl 30. You open up with an onside kick, and you recover it. And that's and that kind of revitalized the team. Um, talk about that play and just how how that kind of brought you back in the game. And that's kind of exactly what you talked about before, right? With Bill Cower and how he's right. willing to bet on you guys and double down. Well, right. Well, we played a very experienced Cowboy team that had been there uh, two times before, two-time winners, and you know they got on us uh, pretty quickly. And I, in the game, I was just like, man, we're not going to get blown out. We, we've gone too far to get blown out. And so we kind of – we really settled down on defense. And from that point, we really played them well. And the only way they got points was the two interceptions that we gave up. So we gave them probably like 17 points or so, but we basically gave up two touchdowns on two turnovers. And one of the touchdowns, what people don't know – is Emmett Smith kind of sneaked in the end zone. He was down. We had we tackled him. He was down, and he just put the ball over the um, pylon, and they gave him the touchdown. It was no review. If it was a review, he would they would never gave him the touchdown. But uh, we're, we're playing well on defense. We just scored before the half, so we're just like, man, we let's go, let's get after him, and so. I know we had a stop. We just got kicked a field goal on def- on offense, and Bobby April goes to Bill and said, what about an onside kick? What about a surprise onside? You see him thinking, and he's like, hell, let's go for it. Onside kick. I'm not holding anything in the bag. Those were the exact words. And, man, that play was amazing. And you and from that point on, you felt like we're gonna win this thing right now. We actually, I mean, we actually after that onside kick, we actually scored, and we're only down by three. We come back. That's when I got the sack. That's what I was gonna bring up next. You had a really and, good game that game. Yeah, and we, and I'm thinking like, oh man, we're gonna win it. We're gonna win it. And I'm thinking to myself, selfishly, man, if we win this thing, I might have a chance to win the MVP. And by the time I said MVP, we threw an interception. And it's just like, oh, my gosh. But, yeah, 
that surprise onside kick was gutsy because I think there's no other coach at that time that would have ever tried that. Or even because considered it. It's a big, huge game. The Super Bowl is so big, and what people, I, I imagine people rec- recognize it, but there's nothing else on TV. <laughs> You're Everybody's watching you, even the casual fan, even the fan that's not really a fan. They're watching the Super Bowl. So you know that all all eyes are on you. And, man, for him to do that, man, it was amazing. It goes to show you that he really believed in us and wanted to give us an opportunity to win. So uh, that was a great call. That's all I can say. It's a great call. Were you mad at Neil O'Donnell for leaving? Uh, No. I mean, in a lot of ways, you can understand. And let me get this clear. Uh, We're all competitors. And we're all about the team, but when it comes to uh, another player negotiating contracts or what we call basically his money, you're you're not upset. You you understand because at some point in time it may be you, and you want guys to sympathize with you and understand that you know you're just trying to get the best deal you can possibly get. You know, hopefully it's with the Steelers. Like, for me, I was fortunate because I renewed, like, twice. But you kind of understood. And I thought, you know, I thought it was a little too hot for him to be there. After what happened in the Super Bowl, I think it was probably best for him to leave and go somewhere else because people would have never let him forget it. They would have never let him forget it. He he basically had to win another Super Bowl for people to forget it. But at that time, people were going to boo him. They were going to, you know, some people take it a little too personally. And at the end of the day, Neil is a this is a good man. And he was a good quarterback for us that year. And people don't understand, if it wasn't for Neil O'Donnell, we might not have got there because the pass he made to Ernie Mills was an incredible throw. He doesn't make that throw, we're not going to the Super Bowl. He doesn't make that throw on fourth and th- uh, three. We're not going to the Super Bowl. So Neil O'Donnell was the guy who got us there. I think the surprising thing is Neil really, he rarely threw interceptions. You know, he was definitely uh, a manager of the game, if you want to call it. And, but no, I, 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 I can understand why fans may be upset. And were we upset that he threw the interception? Yeah, but we had opportunities to win besides that, too. It was, those those are just two big factors. Uh, so I wasn't personally mad at Neil at all. Just a little disappointed that we lost the Super Bowl. Uh, disappointing losses. Uh, which one was the worst? Was it the Super Bowl? Was it the Chargers in 94, the Broncos in 97? Which one was the worst? They were all pretty bad. I'm going to tell you the one that got me more emotional. Now, the Charger, I, I think all the Charger one really hurt. The Charger one really hurt. It really hurt. That's because in our minds, we were the best team in the AFC that year. We were so dominant. I actually think that was our best team. We were so dominant that year, and we jumped on them 7-0. And I thought, this is going to be the celebration. This is going to be like the Cleveland game, the game before. Mm -hmm. But in football, you just never know. You just never – I mean, you think you know what's going to happen, just never know. 
And that was just a lesson that you never take anybody for granted. You never, you never give an opponent uh, a reason to beat you. You, and I think that week we gave them reasons, you know, to beat us. We did. We, we know, we got out that we were trying to make a rap video or something like that. It was just the wrong move at the time. And I'm not blaming the rap video, but, you know, they got pride too. And I just, I don't think you ever give another team um, bulletin board material to beat you. I just think that's dumb. You know, some guys do talk and all that stuff, but I just don't believe in it. I don't believe football is a humbling game in the first place. And you never want to give anybody any kind of power, any kind of gas. And I think we did. They probably played their heart. They played their hearts out, man. They played, they played tough. I mean, we definitely should have won the game, but those guys played tough. And when you, when you let a team hang around to the fourth quarter and it's a, uh, Last possession game. Yeah, anything, anything can happen. happen. Yep, anything can happen. So, if you're the best team, my philosophy is off. Like, put them away. Put them away, and don't give them an opportunity to win the game. Yeah, put them away, and we just didn't. We let them hang around. We let them hang around, and really, honestly, big plays killed us. They made the big plays and it absolutely killed us. We didn't make enough big plays. So I would have to say the, the Charger game was probably the roughest one. See, so I asked the same question to my dad, diehard Steelers fan, and I already knew the answer to it because in the freezer at his home, he has a bagel, a black and gold bagel from 1994. He still has it to this day uh, from that game. And he, I remember as a little kid, he would, I, I was like, found it when I was like 10 years old. I was like, what is this? He goes, this is from 1994. They lost to the Chargers. I'm not taking a bite out of this until they win another Super Bowl. And final, and we had we had like 50 people at our house when they won Super Bowl 40. And he right. went and took a big bite of this frozen bagel. God, so it's got we, two bites out of it. But, oh, yeah, that, that bagel uh, represents the pain that you and yeah. him and everyone in, in Pittsburgh experienced. It was, it was experienced. like a funeral. Yeah. It was like, I mean, it was like a death, man. I mean, you go in the locker room, it's so – it's so disappointing because we knew we had a great season. Man, you just took the, you know, you just took the losses so hard. You know, mm-hmm. it's just and that loss because man, we were dancing during the season, man. We were we were kicking butt during the season, man. We were I mean, we were on point. And for us to lose that game, it was so disappointing. I remember my sister calling me and and I just remember her crying, you know, after that game. And you just like, God, how are we gonna get through this? The, the the loss was so bad that you just didn't even want to watch the Super Bowl. It hurt to watch San Diego go to the Super Bowl and just get rocked by the 49ers. It was tough. It really was. That was that that hurt probably more so. I think the Super Bowl for me, it wasn't as hurtful because I knew that I played my heart out of that game mm-hmm. and that I had a good game. And it did a lot for me as far as my confidence and the next couple of years. Probably you know, helped your wallet on too. To the Pro Bowl yeah. and just getting that confidence. So yeah. the Super Bowl loss, although disappointing, it, I looked at that loss and I looked in the mirror and said, "Man, man, you played your butt off. You know, you, you always dreamed of this moment. Should have won. Play your butt off. That Broncos game." 
that was tough, man. I'm telling you, I almost shed a tear, and I'm not a crier at all. But it doesn't compare to that that San Diego loss. Because we were really close to winning that game, too. Because even though they scored a touchdown, we drove all the way down. I'm like, okay, when Eric Green makes that catch, I'm like, okay, we're going to punch it in. Just didn't punch it in. Yeah. And that's why I say, and that's why I always believe, when you are um, – when you're the team that's supposed to win the game in a big game, take them out of their misery right now. And it has to be that sense of urgency that let's beat them quick and fast and be done with it. Mm-hmm. But when you let them hang around, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. So uh, something I think that stuck out uh, with you, something that made you a unique player was your size. And you mentioned right. it. I mean, you, you were – an, an enormous man in the middle uh, but right. like you I mean you would notice it if you looked at you but like you did everything well that you wouldn't think that you would think would hurt a player at your size I mean you covered you were good in coverage I feel like you had good range on the field like you had good speed good closing speed do you think a guy your size would get a shot at middle linebacker in today's NFL or would you just be moved to defensive end probably not probably not um I was I was unique, but if you know my story, you you understand why it fit well. Uh, and I tell people this story all the time. When I was in high school, believe it or not, I was a three sport athlete. In football, I returned punts, I returned kickoffs. I was known more for being a tight end, split end than a linebacker. So I caught the ball. Uh, I mean, I ran touchdowns, doing things like that. And coming from a small school, it really was a plus because you pretty much had to play all the sports just to have enough numbers. And so in basketball, I played basketball like my brothers and was a pretty good basketball player. I could dunk the ball, you know, good rebound, good score, good physical player. You know, just probably a little short for my position. But on our level, which was like 1A, you know, I was a good basketball player. And then we ran track. If you played football at Lamar High School, you had to run track. And I did the high jump, which surprises a lot of people. So I did the high jump. I ran the mile relay, and I ran the 400. So weren't a thrower to, at all? Huh? You didn't do any throwing at all? No. Huh. No. But then when I get to college, they move, you know, I'm more of an outside linebacker, of course, but I have pretty good quickness and speed. So I played outside linebacker the whole time. I'm thinking that I'm going to be like Lawrence Taylor. So when I get, when I get to the senior bowl, coach Art Shell, who's also a, also from South Carolina, he was like, Hey, we want to put you on inside. Think you'll make a better inside linebacker and i'm like okay sure i never played a position so i'm like oh my god my stock is going to drop in the draft i'm i'm going to go like the fifth or sixth round now you know because i played outside linebacker the whole time so they see me you know now i'm just tweener so people don't know if i'm playing outside i'm playing inside so i'm at the senior bowl and i tell myself just go to the ball. Just just play hard. 
you don't really know the position, but you know how to go to the ball. So that it, so that week, man, I ended up having a phenomenal week. Had a great week covering the, the you know, we did the one on ones, man. I was, I covered guys, all that stuff. So I get to Pittsburgh, and they actually moved me at the MAC at first. I wasn't playing the position I ended up playing, and they saw that I had range. And I just remember Don Capers. We did a, we did a we did a test, and and my weight was probably a lot larger than most linebackers at the time. I was heavier, but I had great range. I had tremendous feet, good hips, and I had great range. So if you try to beat me downfield, I can cover you. I can break on the ball. Uh, I can rush the passer as far as the inside linebacker is concerned. I could stop the run. So I was, in all honesty, I was probably one of the best athletes at the inside linebacker position, but you would never think it because of my size. And I look big and I wore number 99. So, and in those times, my first couple of years, you know, they would take me off on third down. So most people minds, they're thinking, He's a thumper. But everybody that I played against, especially my teammates, they understood that, man, this guy can move like no other guy. And I just remember a lot of times going into the mini camps, Mark Bruner and uh, Malarkey, the tight end coach, would tell the young guys coming in, or anybody who's coming in, it's like, I'm going to tell you, you cannot beat number 99 deep. You cannot beat them deep. And so guys will come in there like, yeah, right. Young and man, every time they try to run deep on me, man, I would just cover them up. And they're just like, how in the hell does he do that? <laughs> but like I said before, if you know my history and my athletic background, then it won't surprise you as much. I didn't come in as I didn't play inside linebacker my whole life. I played other positions. I played other sports. And this is for young people. Uh, when guys specialize, you don't really understand how other sports can help you in your main sport. And that's what I did. It helped me. So when I went out there, although I was a big guy, I could move just as well as any guy who was 230, 240. And it, it went to show, it, it proved itself out because I ended up being one of the best linebackers in the 90s. So that was it. I was just a better athlete. I was just in a bigger package. Yeah. Um, I mean, and like, I, I remember reading when I was preparing for this, they talked about, or I read uh, in 96, I think it was, Greg Lloyd went down and they, they just put you in the nickel package. And right. you, that athleticism that you talked about, it kind of allowed you to just pick Matter up. Matter of fact, right that kind of sparked a lot of things because, you know, I got like, we never had, the linebackers never had interceptions until – I started playing the, the the linebacker, and it was a dime package for us most of the time. And I caught like four picks that year, dropping back in coverage, covering guys man-to-man. And they were probably – but honestly, Coach Carr and Dick LeBeau, they said they, they were not surprised that when Greg went down, they were okay with me being in there. They understood that I can cover. And it I think it kind of woke people up. They're like, wow, this guy is – you know, running downfield 30, 40 yards, making interceptions. 
So that was a unique thing about me, but it was something that in my football career, I pretty much did all the time, make plays. So, so in 2001, you get waived from the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, with the salary cap and everything. Um, a, were you shocked? And B, did it make you feel, I don't know, maybe any better, but it did maybe it make a little bit more sense when you see it. You weren't the only big name that happened to this year, that no. year. It was, it was John Randall, Troy Aikman, Jerry Rice. Everybody. Yeah. So <laughs> were, were, were you taken, were you taken aback by it? Were you shocked by it? At, at first, when I first heard the news, I was because Ed Bouchette called me on the phone and gave me kind of a heads up. So I, I didn't really know. I thought the year before, and this is kind of being naive on my part, I thought the year before was probably one of my better years in quite some time. I, I thought that I was getting back. I was in better shape. I've lost um, some weight. So I was playing at a pretty high level. And those in that year, I, I had two bad ankles, but I still played throughout the season, never missing a game or a start. So when Ed called me, I was – I wasn't surprised at the business part of it. I was a little, maybe a little bit more surprised uh, that I, I, I felt like maybe I could have had that conversation with the Steelers. And, but, you know, it's not up to them to, to do that. I thought that I put it enough years that, you know, just have the, just have the conversation with me and tell me what you're going to do. But I understood the business part of it. I was upset for about maybe two days, man. I was in the dumps because I felt like, you know, I, I gave a lot to the team. And I felt like um, I was a good soldier. But I realized that, man, this game is a business. And they're going to do what's best for them. And so I decided that, okay, well, I'm going to do what's best for me. And I remember talking to the Miss, Mr. Rooney. I remember talking to Bill. And... You know, they actually, what people don't realize, they wanted me to come back at a lower price. But Seattle has already offered me a good deal. And I felt like uh, I'm not going to go back and you guys decide to cut me anyway. And, you know, you do the thing where, hey, Kirk, we're not, we know what you can do, sit out this rep or sit out these reps, let him get in there. So I've been around long enough to understand that part of it. And at that point, there's no more real loyalty at the part. You got to be loyal to yourself because they are. They're loyal to the team. I have nothing against the Pittsburgh Steelers. As a matter of fact, like I said before, after it all went down, me and I talked to Mr. Rooney. And I told Mr. Rooney point blank that I appreciate everything. I understood what it was all about. And he was like, LeVon, man, thank you so much for all that you did for the Pittsburgh Steelers. If you ever need us, let us know. And I was like, well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate the opportunity you guys took in drafting me. It was no hard feelings at all. I was upset because the way that I heard about it. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't upset so much of the decision because I understood it had nothing to do with me as a player. But when you establish what I established as a player, if you don't stay on that level all the time, they're looking at you like he's not as good. But you're probably better than 95% of the players playing. So I realized that somebody else would give me an opportunity to play. 
and I left there without turning over or burning any bridges, without turning over any desks, and left there in a class way. So, um, and I really appreciate all the fans at the time that really was behind me and really, you know, didn't like the move itself. But uh, I knew it was more of a salary cap. I knew, you know, Damani was also, he was hurt. That kind of affected affected me in a, in a little bit. But, man, man, I love Bill Cowher and the Roonies and the Steelers. And that was, that was the best football of my life. So, you know, as you reflect on it, you, you understand that it's a business. And But at the time, it's so personal yeah. that a lot of times, you you know, your head is clouded. You just like, you know, how could they do this? But, you know, it's a business, so you can't really be too upset. So you head to Seattle for a year, then you go to Philly, then you hang it up. And yeah. then I noticed uh, one of the first things you did after grad or after finishing football, you go back and you finish your education. Right, um, exactly. what, what went behind that decision to go back to Clemson? Well, you know, I always wanted to do that. But during that time, it was, you got to understand there was no online learning. Mm-hmm at that particular time. So my, you know, I was, I was only a few credits short from graduating in the first place. So, you know, I decided that I, I wanted to be legit. I, I felt empty without having that degree, you know, going to the NFL. That's what, that was one goal, but the goal was to graduate. So I took my 30 year old self back to college and going through the NFL was kind of a blessing because it taught me how to study. It taught me how to be a good student. And I went back and I only had like really 14 credits. And I, I was like, yeah, let me take advantage of this right now. And so I just took advantage of it. I was with a lot of younger students at the time, but it, it was cool. It was fine. You know, I was married. So my priority, my priorities were different. Mm-hmm. And maybe when I was uh, uh, undergrad or well, just a young person going to yeah. college, but I wanted to do that. I just had a, I just had a baby and, you know, I know that I was going to always live on my, <laughs> just being in NFL. I want to be, I wanted to be legit. And I thought having my degree would make me legit and it'd be something that I finished. And that was very important. So Went back, finished, you know, graduated that summer. So um, it was kind of quick and easy. It was, it was, it was actually, it was actually easier than when I was younger, to be honest with you. Makes sense. Um, speaking of Clemson, how nice is it that I mean they're like the power of college football now? Did you ever see that that one coming? I mean, how, how great is it that they're just the dynasty at this? Yeah, time? you know, I, I didn't really see it coming until I had a meeting with. Dabo Sweeney, he was an intern coach. And, you know, I, I guess maybe he was considering hiring me at some point in time. I was already with the university as a, an admissions officer or admission manager. So I went to, it was Thanksgiving morning and I go into his office and no kidding, this guy has a photo album of his plan for Clemson University. He sits it on the table and he's going through it with me. And I'm like, wow, I don't know if this guy's going to get the job, but he definitely should get this job. And I left out and I told my wife, I'm like, man, they need to hire this guy. 
and at first everybody's looking for a bigger hire, you know, mm-hmm. guys that are, you know, head coaches, you know, that can come and establish a program again. But I was like, man, they need to give it to this guy. He ends up winning the South Carolina game that year, and they give him the um, head coaching job. And I always think about that day that we had that meeting. And before then, I would go to his office, and we would just talk and just kind of – and he was just so easy to get along with and was a a, a really cool guy. And so it's it's good to see someone that works hard and – I think he really looks at the game of football differently than most coaches. I believe that he understands branding. Uh, I think he understands the other things that help you be successful. Nutrition, you know, the weight room, making sure you're getting enough sleep. It's like a big corporation there, man. It's like Microsoft or something. It's on a different level. And he sees it from a CEO level. And he understands the bigger picture where a lot of coaches, they've been in the football world for so long, they've been in that bubble that they don't understand how other applications can apply to football. They've just been in the football world from grad assistant all the way through to, and the only thing they really understand is the game of football and recruiting. Mm-hmm. But uh, Dabo, he actually, I think he worked for a real estate agency for maybe a year or two. And I really feel by having that range, that helped him become a better football coach. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that makes sense. So uh, I feel like I've kept you way longer than I told you I would. No, uh, okay. apologize cool. for that. Uh, I don't mind talking. All right. Awesome. So as we wrap this up, what are you up to now? Uh, are you coaching or what are you doing? No, I'm not really coaching in that kind of aspect, but I do. I'm worth. I'm with a, an organization called the South Carolina Football Hall of Fame, where we honor uh, past football players that have been affiliated with South Carolina in some kind of capacity. Where whether they're born in South Carolina, where they play college ball in South Carolina, we honor those guys. But we also have a bridge builder excellence program that we go back into the schools and we really teach, try to make a difference through the game of football. We, we educate, we empower, and we encourage. And in the state of South Carolina, we're like ranked like 43rd, and this is from US News, in the nation of co- career and college readiness. So we're, we're not that great. And so we want to make sure that we give them that that back. We do a podcast called The Inside Blitz with LeVon Kirkland because of my Pittsburgh Steelers days. And we talk to these young people. We talk to Hall of Famers, great football players. And we talk about things like leadership. We talk about, you know, making the adjustment from going to, from going from junior high to high school. We try to make sure that our audience is informed. And we try to make sure that, they know that there's someone out there that really cares about their their athletes and how sports really play a big part in life skills. You play football, you understand that it gives you life skills that maybe sometimes you don't even recognize. So I'm doing that. I'm doing another podcast that's basically on Clemson football, LeVon Kirkland, uh, Clemson football with LeVon Kirkland. So just did that show yesterday. So... 
man, I just want to be an advocate of, of success. And I, I see myself, you know, really being now in the forefront of helping people be successful. So that's well, what I'm up to. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. LeVon, I just want to thank you for coming on the show. I'm sure you made a lot of Steeler fans happy to go down memory lane with uh, oh, some of the stories you. you shared and everything like that. So big thank you to our special guest, LeVon Kirkland. You can follow him on social media. We have uh, same tag for both Twitter and Instagram, right? Right, correct. LeVon underscore Kirkland. Um, I mean, you know who he is. Just look it up. You'll find him there. The real um, Kirkland, yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you again for coming on, and I hope everyone enjoyed. Can I show the people at the Piss- with the Pittsburgh Steelers a little something? Yes, absolutely. So if you look, I got my, my own little signature shirt. Okay. So I got a little 99 and my signature, LeVon Kirkland. When I got to the Ring of Honor, I did some shirts like this at, for Clemson, just in orange. And I thought, you know, it'd be kind of cool to have your own shirt. So I just wanted the Pittsburgh Steelers fans to see that. All right. Is there a place that they can get those? or You know, uh, Rock Promotions does it for okay. me. And I can give you that. And he, I mean, this guy's incredible. He does all kind of uh, paraphernalia. I mean, anything you want, he can do. So Rock Promotions does a great job with that. And I try to pay the guy, but he always gives these things for me for free. But uh, I, I would love for other people to uh, see his work and see the good quality that he has. This is really good quality. I like yeah, we'll, we'll leave a link in the subscription. All right, thank you. So, all right well, thank you once again. Uh, great, great conversation. Thank you, sir.